Well, we are going to talk this morning about the birth of Jesus Christ, and I think it's safe to say that the birth of Jesus Christ is the most significant event in the history of humanity. Uh, just the fact that our calendar centers around the birth of Jesus Christ, I mean, you know, BCAD, and now uh, I think they've changed it to CE, Common Era, or before Common Era, but it's still, our, our, our calendar centers around this event, the birth of Jesus Christ, not to mention uh, just throughout history, literally uh, every single culture has been inspired by the birth, or has been influenced by the birth of Jesus Christ. And if you just narrow in on one element of culture, the, the music scene of culture, I mean, every single person has sung about the birth of Jesus Christ. Everybody has a song or an album. Everybody wants to sing about this single event, the birth of Jesus Christ. I mean, everyone from Beethoven to Handel to Charles Wesley, Mariah Carey, and now, even, even now, hold your breath, Gwen Stefani has an, a Christmas album with Silent Night singing about Jesus. So what is it about the birth of Jesus Christ that makes everyone want to sing about it? And actually, even more interesting, maybe more fascinating, is even people who care less about Jesus want to get in on this Christmas spirit. Actually, people who oppose Jesus still want to get in on the Christmas spirit. They want to get in on the love and the joy and the peace and the goodwill to all men. They want to get in on the Christmas spirit. In other words, they want the principles of Christmas without the person of Christmas. They want the principles of Christmas without the person of Christmas. And I want to talk about that today because whether you're a Christian or not, these principles, you know, the joy and the peace and the goodwill to all men and the love, these principles, they're rather elusive. And I mean, just looking at the statistics, sadly, during the Christmas season, suicide rates go up, depression goes up, consumerism goes up, excess and greed, it goes up. Uh, divorce, divorce rate goes up, debt goes up, waistlines get bigger, Every, everything gets bigger during the Christmas season. And what ends up happening is, you know, November and December come around and we're like, yeah, let's, just everything's amazing. And then January comes and we have this huge hangover. We're like, oh, what happened to me? Like, oh, I'll never do that. I'll never eat that much again. I'll never, oh, why did I spend all that money, you know? And, and so we have this big hangover in January and, and then next year it repeats itself. We do the same thing again and again. And again, it's so elusive, the Christmas spirit, following after, chasing after these principles, it's so elusive. And what I want to say today is that what we all want, what every single one of us wants, this peace and this joy and this spirit of Christmas, it's impossible to attain. We can't have it. Merry Christmas. Glad you came, right? We can't have it because we're chasing after the wrong thing. We're chasing after the principles, not the person. We can only have these things, the peace and the joy and the love and the goodwill to all men if we first get the person of Christmas. To get the principles without the person is impossible. And so I want to jump into something that's so key to what everyone's singing about and why this is possible, and that is the incarnation. And so I want to turn to the passage that uh, the kids read for us earlier. It's Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we've got a black one in the chair in front of you there. You're welcome to use that or just follow along on the screen. Also, if you don't have a Bible at home or maybe uh, you're looking for a new Bible, we want to give you that one as a Christmas gift today. So feel free to take that black one home with you. If there's not one in your chair, just steal the one from your neighbor and it'll be just like Black Friday all over again. So so Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read uh, verses 10 and 11, but I'll start with, chap- or with verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all men. When we first hear about Jesus, sometimes our initial response is fear, right? Like we're like, whoa, 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 who's this guy with all these exclusive claims? And we're like, I'm not sure I'm into that. When we first hear about Jesus, it just feels like, oh, it's a little too 
much. And it's almost like the angel comes and he's like, whoa, chill out, bro. Chill out. It's not a big, hey, I'm bringing good news of great joy. I'm bringing good news of, God's not here to take from you. God's here to give to you. This is actually good, the message of Jesus is good news. Not heavy news, not condemning news. It's good news of great joy. Well, what is that great joy? The angel goes on. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This, this verse, chapter 2, verse 11, this is what everyone is singing about. This is the part of the story that brings big joy, big peace, big love. This phrase right here. As a matter of fact, it's the smallest word in the sentence that may be the most important word in the sentence. Did you catch it? It's that little word. You probably didn't even notice it. Is. He says, is Christ the Lord. Jesus is Christ the the Lord. Not he could be Christ the Lord, not he will be Christ the Lord, not he may be Christ the Lord, not he, he could be one of the few that could be. No, no, he is Christ the Lord. It's so important for us because what it means is not that he could be our Savior, or he might be our Savior. If he did good enough or we do good enough, he will be. But no, he is our Savior. He is. That is who he is. He always was that. He always will be that. In other words, he is God. This, this phrase, Christ the Lord, uh, the translation there is really saying Messiah who is Jehovah. Messiah who is Jehovah. It's pulling from the Old Testament. What he's saying is this Christ is Lord. He is God. Let me show you what John chapter 1 says. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is referred to here as the Word, or in the Greek it's Logos. And that's a Greek word for speech, the, the, the words, the words that come out of our mouth, the speech. And, and so what John's saying is he starts by saying, in the beginning was the word, referring to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus is a message from God. He's first a message from God. But then he goes on and he says, Jesus was with God in the beginning. Jesus was with God in the beginning. So before any human being was created, before plants and animals and the stars and the moon and the sky, Jesus was there with God before all time. So we're finite beings you know, we don't exist forever, we don't have all power, all supremacy, but Jesus was there with God before time itself began. Not only that, he goes on, he says, and the word was God. Now that is huge, huge. The word was God. Jesus was there in the beginning since before time began, and in the beginning, he was God. That little baby born in a manger that came to us on a quiet night in Bethlehem is God. And the implications of that are larger than we could ever imagine. Actually, I want to speed ahead to John chapter 1, verse 14. John goes on, he says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So here's what happened. God, Jesus, who existed before time began, came and became a man so that he could walk with us, so that he could save us. Not a man became God. It's really important that we realize that. A man didn't become God. A man wasn't good enough that he became so much like God that he was able then to be one of the prophets who, who brought us a message of hope and joy and peace and love. He didn't, he didn't excel to the place of God. He always was in the place of God, and he came down to become one of us. The reason this is so huge is because the essence of Christianity could be summed up in two little words. Those words are place-taking. The entire essence of Christianity could be summed up in those two words, place Taking on our end, place-taking, on God's end, place-taking. For example, talk about sin. What does the Bible say about sin? Some people say, oh, it's a, it's a pleasantry, you know, it's just a bad habit, it's something you shouldn't do. Other people say it's breaking the law, you know, sin is just breaking God's law or man's law, but the Bible doesn't say that about sin. 
The Bible goes much, much deeper than that. The Bible says that the essence of sin is our desire and attempt to take God's place. You know, the Bible says we didn't create ourselves, we don't sustain ourselves, that we're completely and totally dependent on God. And yet, throughout the Bible and throughout human history, we see this continual theme of man trying to take the place of God. We all do it. I do it. I try and play king of my own life. I try and sustain myself and keep myself, and I want to be kind of king of my castle. You know, I want everything to center around me and I want everyone to do everything that I want them to do, and I want my life to be everything I want it to be. I want to be king. But the Bible says that is the essence of sin. The essence of sin is humanity trying to take God's place. That's the pinnacle of all sin. That's, that's what Adam and Eve did. You know, God said, you can do anything you want that I've set out in front of you. It's all good except for this one thing. Don't eat of this one tree which is going to give you knowledge that's going to make you think that you're good enough without me. It's going to make you think that you don't need me. Don't eat that. I don't want you to eat that. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They were tempted. They were enticed. They came, oh, we want this. This is good. They rebelled against God. You and I do it all the time. That's the pinnacle of sin. The pinnacle of sin is not all the shootings that we continue to see, as tragic as they are. It's not 9-11. It's not the wars. It's not the harassment. As awful as those things are, the pinnacle of sin is, is human beings, you and I, trying to take the place of God in our lives instead of letting God be God and submitting to him as king. That's the pinnacle of sin. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us could acknowledge the fact that we don't live the life we know we should live. I mean, if you just set aside the Bible for a minute, like, don't even, we don't even have to talk about this. This principle is true even, even outside of the words of this book, although this book, I mean, it lays it down in the best way you could possibly imagine. But set this aside. Set the Ten Commandments aside. And just imagine with me that every single one of us was born with a tape recorder around our necks. And that tape recorder only turned on through our life when we said things that other people should do. Right? So throughout our lives, we're like, oh, she should be like that, not like this. I can't believe she does that. She shouldn't gossip. He shouldn't do that. My boss should be more like this. Or you say, oh, people these days, I can't believe. I can't believe, you know. Anything we ever said that any other human being should do, the tape recorder just turned on when we made those statements. And then at the end of our life, the tape recorder was played back to us. And we were judged off of our own standard. Every single one of us would fall short of our own standard. We're imperfect human beings. So how much more, the perfect God, do we fall short of his standard? We try and take his place, and it's so foolish. But the Bible, the good news of the Bible is it says that God the king, although we've committed high treason, although we've looked at the king and said, king, I want your seat. I don't want you on the seat. I want me. On the seat, the, the good news of the Bible is that the king didn't do what he should have done. The king didn't take an eye for an eye. He didn't execute justice. He didn't kick us out of the kingdom. He didn't kill us because of that, but actually the king came down to take our place. The essence of sin is that we try to take God's place. The essence of salvation is that God takes our place. And this is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about God coming down and putting on flesh to be like us so that he could take our place on that cross. The death that we deserve to die, Jesus died in our place on the cross. That's what we're singing about this Christmas. What we're singing about is not that we got it all right, that we figured it out, that we found the knowledge. What we're singing about is that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not get what they deserve, but inherit eternal life. Jesus came down to take our place on the cross. And nine years ago, I was in a 
church like this, sitting at the back of the room in a service like this, listening to a preacher talk about the person of Jesus Christ. And as I sat in the back of that church, I listened to the preacher talk about this man, Jesus Christ, this God-man. And as he spoke about the love and the joy and the peace and the, the hope that was in Jesus Christ, I looked on this person, Jesus Christ, for the first time in my life, nine years ago, I looked on him and I saw that he is everything I've ever wanted in my life. He's what I've been looking for. He's what I've been hoping for. And he's the only hope for my life. And on that day, I committed my life to Jesus Christ. And I received this forgiveness and this hope and this life and this joy. For the last nine years, I've had a lot of turmoil. I've lost some loved ones. I've had a lot of pain and heartache. But I can say, genuinely say, that I have peace and joy and hope and love. Why? Because I figured it out? No. Because I have a relationship with this person, Jesus Christ, and because he gives me those things. And what I want to invite every single one of us into this morning is I want to invite every single one of us into a relationship with that man. Because he came not to teach us a better way, but to be the better way. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to show you the way. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm going to teach you the truth. He said, I am the truth. He didn't say, go find the life. Go work really hard. No, he said, I am. I am the the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. This is what Christmas is all about. You know what the basis of truth for the Christian is? It's a man dying on a cross for his enemies. God's answer to us trying to take his place was that he came down and took our place. That's what Christmas is all about. His response to our treason was not our neck on the guillotine, but his son's body on the cross. That's what Christmas is all about. We need to come to the person of Christmas, not just look for principles this Christmas, not just try and find this elusive joy and hope and peace that's like the wind. We can never get our hands around it. If you haven't found it yet, you're not going to find it apart from him, Jesus Christ. So maybe you're sitting there and you're asking the question, okay, Dylan, I get it. I get it. How do I come to the person? How do I stop trying to pursue just the principles and come to the person first? I'm so glad you asked. It's a great question. I'll show you. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice that confidence. He doesn't say you could be saved or you might be saved or maybe hope real hard you might you could get saved. No, no, he says if you do this, you will be saved. You will secure for yourself an eternal life with God himself. You will have your sins forgiven. You will have a savior. What do you have to do? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Make the public statement, the public declaration. Say it out loud, Jesus Christ, you're my Lord. I'm not God. I'm not going to try and play God anymore. I'm not going to try and be the king of my castle, God. I'm submitting my life to you. You're my Lord. Getting down on our knees and saying, Jesus, it's all about you, and I'm giving my life to come and follow you. Secondly, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Believe in your heart. Come to a place of actual conviction that Jesus really is the Son of God that he did put on flesh, that he did, did live the life that we failed to live, that he did die on that cross for our sins, and that God really did bring him back to life three days later, that he would forever conquer our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised, you, raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Friends, we can come into that today. I want to invite you into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today. It's a simple step. The hardest thing we'll ever do Surrendering to him, the greatest thing we'll ever do, surrendering to him. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you will be saved. I want to show you a story of someone who did just that, and it absolutely changed his life. We're going to play it for you now.
You know, David's story is one of millions upon millions of stories of people who have taken this step. They said, Jesus, you're Lord. I believe I'm going to commit my life to come follow you. And when they do, Jesus changes everything. He absolutely changes everything. I want to tell you a story to close today of something that I think really represents what Christ has done for us. Ernest Gordon was a Scottish, Scottish prisoner of war in World War II, and he wrote a book entitled Miracle on the River Kauai. In the book, he tells the true story of a day when a shovel went missing as Ernest and other prisoners of war were working on the infamous Burma Railway. Writing about the Japanese guard who discovered the missing shovel, Ernest writes this. He says, he began to rant and rave, working himself up into a paranoid fury and ordered whoever was guilty to step forward. No one moved. All die, all die, he shrieked, cocking and aiming his rifle at the prisoners. At the moment, and at that moment, one man stepped forward and the guard clubbed him to death with his rifle while the other soldiers stood silently to attention. When they returned to camp, the tools were counted again and no shovel was found missing. The man who stepped forward didn't steal a shovel. He simply stepped forward to save the lives of his fellow prisoners of war. John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Friends, you and I are like those prisoners of war, except for the hard truth is that you and I really did steal the shovel. There really is a shovel missing in our life, and we really did steal it. And we're standing there in line and Jesus stepped forward for us. He stepped forward. He took the beating. He took the rejection. He took the pain. He took the cross so that we didn't have to. He took it all so that we could have life and have it abundantly. I plead with every single one of us this morning, please give up trying to cling to the principles of Christmas. Give up trying to do this life in your own power. Let us come to the one who gave his life that we might have it abundantly. And we shall be saved. I want to pray for us.